Friend, I am so excited to bring you this week's episode. As you know, I started Chasing Simple to help combat the loneliness of entrepreneurship. And with each guest that comes onto the show, the number one struggle I hear them say they had when they first started their business is comparison. I know that I definitely used to and still do struggle with it too, and I know that you probably do as well. And today, I am joined by the number one community cultivator and comparison stomper, Natalie Frank. Natalie Frank Hayes is an entrepreneur, mobilization marketer, community builder, and neuroscience nerd. As one of the founders of the Rising Tide Society, the head of community at HoneyBook, and author of Built to Belong, she leads tens of thousands of creatives and small business owners while fostering a spirit of community over competition around the world. And today, she's joining me to talk all about the divide between our digital and physical worlds and what it is that we should do about it. And her advice? Well, it's probably not what you think. We also talk about her brand new book, Built to Belong, and friend, this is a cannot miss read. Spoilers, but it's definitely the recommended book in this episode. And before I spoil anything else, let's go ahead and dive on in. You're listening to Chasing Simple, episode 72, and I'm your host, Amanda Warfield. How do I run a successful business from my home? How can I possibly wear all of the hats? Am I the only one that struggles with staying organized? What am I supposed to do about work-life balance? How can I create a solid schedule and routine? How do I even stay productive? And the biggest question of all, how do I manage it all? And can I really create a business that I love without being chained to my laptop? Welcome to the Chasing Simple Podcast, where hard conversations and actionable education meet simplicity. I'm your host, Amanda Warfield, time management coach, online educator, and crazy cat mama. My mission is to help overwhelmed biz owners get more done in less time so that they have more time and energy for what matters most. If you feel overwhelmed or occasionally lost in the roller coaster that is entrepreneurship, I want you to know that you aren't alone. Those things you're feeling, you aren't the first or the last to feel that way. The hard things you're going through, someone else has already been there too. Each week, I'll bring you transparent conversations, actionable steps, and a judgment-free community to encourage and equip you. So grab yourself a cup of coffee or whatever your drink of choice is and meet me here each week for love, support, practical tips, and advice on simplifying your biz. Let's do this entrepreneurship thing together, shall we? Natalie, I am so excited to have you on today and I feel like everyone listening has to know who you are, but if someone's living under a rock and they don't know who you are, tell us who you are and what you do. Oh my gosh. I'm Natalie Frank. I am one of the co-founders of the Rising Tide Society and I'm head of community at HoneyBook. And underneath all of that, I am an entrepreneur turned community builder. I was a wedding photographer for over eight years and recognized the loneliness that so often accompanies entrepreneurship, realized that So many of the ways that I was taught to run a business, the ways I was encouraged to grow my platform led me ultimately to feeling disconnected from others, led me to feeling isolated and struggling with comparison and longing for connection in the chaos. And so I've been on a mission for about the past six years to really reevaluate those messages and those teachings about how to run a business, how to live your life, um, especially as it relates to competition. 
and have been one of the voices championing this community over competition movement ever since. And so I wrote a book about it. And that's really you know where I've landed lately. So as of late, what I've been up to is um, preparing for the launch of Built to Belong and the hope that we can take what I've learned over the last six years and the struggles that I've dealt with over that period as well and use it as a roadmap to help others to get to a place where they're deeply connected to others and they feel a sense of purpose in their digital and in-person relationships. So just for everyone listening, as we are listening to this today, Built to Belong is live. It is available for you to go grab and get your hands on. So head to the show notes and make sure you go grab your copy today because I promise it's well worth the read. It is amazing. I've already taken so many notes on it. We were just talking about this before we started hitting record and it is so good. So just a side note, make sure you go grab your copy. But Natalie, one of the things I'm really passionate about, similar to you, is that entrepreneurship is lonely, but we're not alone. And that is the whole premise of Chasing Simple is that when I bring guests on, we're talking about the hard parts of entrepreneurship. And the most common theme that we get over and over and over again, when I ask the question, what is something you really struggled with when you first started your business? It is always comparison. Every single guest, that is the first thing they say. And I've pulled some things out of some other guests to talk about other struggles, but every time on the back end, that is the first thing people say. And that is why I am so passionate about this book and being on your launch team and having you on today because it is so important and we all struggle with it. And there is a message in the online space where it's very much take care of yourself and have boundaries with social media, take time away from social media, put your phone down and all of these things. And that's great. But in your book, in chapter six, you take things in a whole different direction that just blew my mind a little bit. So I'm just going to kind of let you explain that because I'll butcher your sentiments. So if you can just run with that for a moment and explain to everyone listening why that may not be the best move. Oh, yes. Let's do it. Look, I say this as someone who had heard that advice for so long for a season of my life, gave that advice. And actually, even in in the chapter that we're talking about, you know, I, I kind of share a little bit of regret around how I used to even think about the online and offline worlds as two very different things. When I set out, for example, to build the Rising Tide Society, I did it under the notion that in-person community was the only community. I actually literally said, internet friends aren't real friends. We need real friends. Let's get out into the real world. And I take back my words in chapter six. In chapter six, I address a little bit of, of why I was wrong there, but I also illuminate kind of this underpinning that I think we need to talk about. We need to kind of get to the bottom of which is this reality that you know we can't just take a vacation from our phones every time we're struggling with comparison. And frankly, it may give us temporary relief, but it that's all it is. It's not a problem solver. It's not actually fixing what's deeply broken about how we're engaging with others online, especially in person too, but online magnifies our insecurities and our ability to compare in such a way that it's almost difficult to to kind of connect the two. To clarify that too, it used to be before the internet, before the world that we now live in, you still compared yourself, but you compared yourself to a finite number of people that were within your small sphere. So I always think like the girl next door syndrome. We remember growing up, if anyone else is a child of the nineties, you know, those movies of like the kid next door and the, that was your world. That was, that was who, you know, it was just the people you met in a day-to-day environment. That's who you would compare yourself to. And today that's not the case. Today, 
we don't just compare ourselves to the people that we meet in our physical reality. We compare ourselves to everyone all over the world who's doing either what we're doing or what we want to be doing or what we dream to be doing or at different stages of life. And we think you know, about all the articles that come out that say, oh, look what someone did by 20. Look what someone did by 30. Look at what she's accomplished, what he's accomplished, what they've done. So it's it's an inundation at a level that we've never quite had to tackle as a species. And there are other chapters where I dive into more about the technological shifts. But the advice that's been given so far has been, well, just self-care, take a break, unplug your phone. There's a quote that's like, unplugging something will fix it and the same works for you and all that good stuff. And while again, I'm not saying that that won't help. What I am saying is that it's temporary. We live in a world now where we will always be somewhat connected through the internet. We will always be engaging through social media platforms. And so the problem itself isn't social media. We've really looked at it and said, just the existence of social media is the issue. The problem is how we're using social media right? The problem is how we're engaging with these platforms. It's whether or not we're acknowledging that these are platforms created to make money, right? They're they're not just innocently floating in the ethos for us to use and connect as bystanders or members, right? Like these platforms are to make money. And so they want to keep us scrolling. They want to keep us consuming. They want us to be, you know, watching as many videos as humanly possible because they're going to make more ad revenue the more that we consume and the more that we scroll. And all of the the studies out there that are examining this on a psychological level are indicating that there are detrimental health effects to constantly consuming and constantly scrolling and using social media with this passive consumer mentality. And in the book, I basically address this and I say, look, for so long, we've had a blanket statement that said people who spend more time on social media feel more lonely. And I give these stats, I give all these stats in the book. But what we haven't really done is examine how they're using social media. You know, you can take two people that spend an hour on social media, but perhaps one of them is, like I said, scrolling, comparing, consuming, and the other is engaging very differently. The other shows up to social media with a plan. I'm here to connect. I'm here to create. I'm here to put something out into the universe, not just passively receive it. And that switch of behavior and intent can have a significant impact on how we feel about ourselves after we leave the platform and how we're able to actually connect with others while we're on the platform. Our ability to forge these great relationships, giving us the opportunity to really cultivate meaningful friendships and community connections on these platforms that claim they're social, that say they have social before media, but yet we're consuming the media before we're setting setting ourselves up to be social. And so by flipping that and really taking it um, one step further and implementing maybe a new way that you approach these platforms, you're going to find yourself feeling differently. And I know that I have certainly, especially over the last year and a half of being forced to kind of deal with this issue headfirst and you know, not being able to unplug because the work that I do and the work that so many of us do today relies on us being able to use social media and the internet. Yeah. And what's funny, I'm looking at my notes and inside of this chapter, you've referenced a study done in 2010, which can we just take a second? Like 2010, social media usage was so much different way back then. So this is only even more applicable now because I can think back to 2010. I was the beginning of my senior year of high school and I had Facebook on my computer. I didn't even really use it on my phone. Was Instagram even a thing yet? I'm not sure. Like Snapchat. We didn't have any of these crazy, super time consuming. It was still time consuming, but not as much. This is even more applicable now. But 
the notes I wrote down, the researchers found that direct communication on social media is associated with greater feelings of bonding, social capital, and lower levels of loneliness. And that blows my mind. But the key piece there is that it's the direct communication. And that same study that you quoted found that in the opposite, if you were consuming rather than connecting, it was the opposite. They had decreased social capital and increased feelings of loneliness. All that science to back up everything that you're saying. And I've never thought about it that way because I've always been the same way of I'm going to, you know, I don't even have social media on my phone. I put it on my iPad so that I can have boundaries with it because I do scroll. And just that light switch of, oh, we can show up intentionally in a different way. And it's not a negative thing is so different. I'm really curious how this mindset has helped you throughout the pandemic, because I know right before the pandemic started, y'all were traveling, right? And like you had just sold your house and we're traveling and didn't really even have like a, a home base at that point. So how did this all play out with you with the connectivity throughout the pandemic? Oh, listen, I jokingly said that a lot of last year was my fault because we chose a word for the year. I don't know if anyone else chooses words for the year. And I chose the word home. My word of the year was home for 2020. So let that sink in for a second. And you can send me all the angry DMs that you want later after the episode. I hear you, but you're right. What we ultimately did in 2020 is we sold our home and we thought that that would be the year we'd go on the road and spend it on the road with people in person, forging community and building relationships. And we did get three good months in, I shall say. We January, February, and March, we were on the road driving from Maryland to Florida across Texas, all the way to California, all the way up the coast. We did a lot of driving, hugged. I joke, I say we hugged 1,200 people within days of the pandemic being sort of announced as a national crisis. There was a lot of hugging happening, a lot of in-person connecting. And I thought that would be the entirety of 2020. And then March happened. And when March hit, as we all remember, you know, it kind of was this immediate freeze. It was a stillness. There was a sense of, you know, sort of... Um, immediate stopping of all in-person activities, events, even the things like going to a grocery store without concern, being able to see one another and smile in the aisles, like everything changed because we immediately were more, more focused on, on stopping the spread and protecting our neighbors and, you know, doing what we had to do to keep ourselves, our families and the ones we love safe. And so we made these big societal shifts in the matter, in a matter of days and it truly in a matter of days, everything we knew changed. And one of the key things for me is something that builds community and connects people in person. And that's what I've done. That's literally my job, you know, asking the question, okay, but what now? And what does it look like to no longer have groups meeting in person? What does it look like to take our world virtual? What does it look like to really cultivate these connections online? How in the world are we going to figure this out? And I had this conversation with my sister-in-law truly in March as we're, and I'm also getting ready to write a book on community as a side note. I had already, I had just picked my, you know, my publisher signed my, my book deal in the end of February. And here we are now I'm writing a book about community and there is a pandemic where we're no longer connecting. So talk about like, just kind of a huge, I was confronted with quite a bit and I'm sitting down. I'll never forget. I was talking with my sister-in-law and I, you know, I'm saying like, how is this going to impact us? Like, how are we possibly still going to connect without in-person gatherings? How are we possibly going to navigate the immense isolation we're going to feel by being physically disconnected? And you know, she kind of said something along the lines of, don't discount digital togetherness. My sister-in-law has cystic fibrosis. 
And she is really the inspiration behind this part of the chapter where she illuminated for me the reality that for most of the world, this was new. Having to remain six feet apart for most of the world was a brand new phenomenon that we had never had to navigate before. But for members of the cystic fibrosis community, this has been the case for quite a while. If you're not aware, individuals with with cystic fibrosis have a chronic lung disease where ultimately, if they are within six feet of one another, they can pass different bacteria back and forth, and it can actually worsen their conditions. And so they're encouraged to stay six feet apart to protect them, which means that even at support events, even at, you know, you think about like the walks that we do to raise money for CF or any kind of activity where they might be able to connect with other people who understand what they're going through. They might be able to, you know, give a hug to somebody who's going through a tough time with their condition, which is the case for so many other situations in our lives. They can't do that. And so they've adapted such that virtual communities and connecting in community digitally has been integral to how they navigate finding support and finding community. And they've done it exceptionally well. And so she basically became, in many ways, my roadmap for saying, this is, let me tell you about this person. Let me tell you about this group. Let me tell you about virtual movie nights. Let me tell you about virtual book club. Let me tell you about all these things that we've already been doing, but the rest of the world is just discovering today. You know, and I, I think one that really reminded me that as, as, as human beings, we, we are so incredibly adaptable and we can leverage technology however we want to leverage it. But the truth still remains that we are built to belong and we are created for connection. So even when we cannot be together physically, even when we cannot, I can't give you a hug and say, I understand what you're walking through or I am here for you. The fact that we've created this technology now gives us this opportunity to adapt maybe the execution of the behavior, but still remain connected even in the place of that in-person touch point. And that is so important. And then one last thing I have to add here that's also really important is that while the world now in this current season is starting to walk towards a future that is reminiscent of the past, a world where we are starting to, to get together again in person, where we have a lot of folks who are vaccinated, we're moving. I don't want to say we're returning to normal because I don't want normal. I don't want pre-pandemic. I want something better, but you get the idea. We're moving into slowly what we hope is a post-pandemic era. And as we do that, I just want to remind everyone that we can remember the good learnings we've taken out of this season, because although we might be able to stand within six feet of one another, there are still many in our community who cannot, and not just those with cystic fibrosis. But for a wide portion of our population, whether they're immunocompromised, whether they have family members who are immunocompromised, whether their children cannot be vaccinated, I just want to remind all of us that in the pursuit of this return, in the pursuit of moving forward, not to leave anyone behind, not to also say, okay, I'm done with the virtual. I'm never touching it again. I'm running out into in-person now and forever. Don't make the mistake of Natalie Frank in in 2016, who thought in-person community was the only real community. What I want to encourage us to do is not to put down our phone and never pick it up again and say, I can't deal with the comparisonitis that is this monster of a mess on Instagram, but instead to say, How am I going to change my behavior with these platforms such that they do fill me up, such that I can remain in deep relationships with people via the internet, that I can continue to widen my network and meet new friends on these platforms? And that's really the goal here. So it's not to say don't set boundaries. It's not to say don't put down your phone. Those things do help. And for some of us, for a time, they are exactly what we need. But what it is, is taking a bigger step back and saying, okay, how do I prevent getting to that point in the first place? How do I prevent the burnout, the comparison, the isolation that I feel after scrolling for hours on these platforms? 
How do I change my behavior such that I have a healthier daily relationship with the virtual world so that when I navigate this new integration, no longer looking at these things as two separate spaces where I exist, both online and in person, but a combined and dynamic integration of these two in my daily life. How do I do it with purpose? How do I do it with others? How do I do it deeply connected and fulfilled so that I'm not always having to take that break from the phone because maybe that break is no longer monthly. Maybe that break just needs to be the boundaries that I set, the understanding of how I engage when I choose to engage. And that way it keeps burnout at bay. I think that word choose is so important. And that's something that, you know, when I'm telling people that I use my iPad instead of my phone, they're always like, oh, so you have really strong boundaries. You never use social media outside of work time. And I'm like, no, like, there are many, many Friday nights where I actively choose to go lay on the couch and scroll through reels because it's fun. Like there's nothing wrong with that. But my question to you is what have you done practically to stop chasing that divide between physical world and digital world? How do you, how do we move forward being intentional to no longer feel like we need to separate the two? It's such a good question. I think first it's having a a deep understanding of, of your why, of why you're using them in the first place, why you're on Instagram or why you're on Facebook, because for each person, by the way, that applies to physical communities as well. Why are you a member of this group? Why are you attending this local event? Why are you showing up at this faith community? Why are you a part of this gym or network? Like Understanding the purpose beneath whatever it is that you're engaging in really helps you to understand what, what the boundaries need to be, but also helps you to understand what you're there to give and what you're there to gain and how that dynamic works. And so I'll give you a very practical example. As I mentioned, for a number of years, when I would pick up Instagram, it was to scroll. It was to see what was on there. And then based on what was on there, kind of figure out, okay, am I keeping up? Am I keeping up? Am I sharing about my business enough? Am I, what do I need to adapt? What do I need to learn? How do I need to grow in this? Where do I, you know, what changes do I need to make? Oh gosh, you know, this new thing came out and I don't know how to use it yet. And I'm panicking and trying to learn. And I know someone's listening to this going, okay, that was me this morning. And so if that's you, I'm saying I've been there. And some days I still have the tendency to lean there. But now what I do instead is I look at Instagram as for my purpose, twofold. First is to connect. And second is to serve. I see Instagram as a place where I step into that space to connect with people who are a part of my community and to serve them well. And what that has done is it encourages me first to show up with the mindset of, you know, checking the DMs before checking the feed, hopping in and literally looking at who has messaged me today and how can I make sure I'm doing my best to respond. And I can't always respond to everyone, but that's the intent versus what's being created by others. It's how do I connect with others? And then in the second kind of nuance of that, the leaning into serving, for me, that's creating. So I am a creator. So instead of consuming, I'm creating and connecting. And so the creation component might look like identifying what people are asking in the DMs, what concerns they do have. If there is something relevant changing with the platform, not trying to stress out about how to implement it right away, but maybe becoming a voice of resource of education of, Hey, here's something changing. Let's not panic. We're a community. We're going to help each other out. How do you feel about this? What can we be doing? How can, and and again, approaching this entirely differently. So practically on social media, it's connecting and creating or serving instead of just consuming and then making those shifts where I have to consciously check myself because again, We have to remember these platforms are built by very brilliant Silicon Valley scientists whose desire is to keep us scrolling, to keep us engaged as long as possible. 
it's not an innocent place where we just step in and then suddenly can say, oh, I'm going to go into my DMs every day. No, they're going to put content at the top of your feed to catch your attention and to keep you scrolling. From the very first moment, they're also going to delay when they tell you about notifications. They wait to tell you how many people have liked and commented on your photos until you're at a moment where they feel like you might hop off the platform because they know that you need that validation to stay on. And so it's like this very slightly manipulative game that is being played behind the scenes. So again, it's acknowledging that and and kind of having to consciously check yourself every once in a while to say, oh, okay, I've been scrolling. I fell off. I've been scrolling. And this isn't serving the purpose, the why of why I'm here. So I'm going to shift. I'm going to change my behavior. And then making those conscious and cognitive behavioral changes in response to those moments when you notice you've kind of gone subconscious and are just passively consuming the content. And that that's one thing. And then in the in-person you know, for me, it looks like when I am in person at an event, when I am in person with friends, following them, actually following people I want to connect with on these platforms, not just other businesses or thought leaders that I'm supposed to be following, but actual humans. I call this sort of like a quick follow check. Taking control of who you follow changes so often the way you feel about these platforms. If you're following someone simply to compare, I forget the term. Someone was saying, if you follow someone just to be jealous of them, right? Or like the site, there's a term out there, you know, where you're, you're, you're hate following someone, which is a horrible idea, but it's true. There are, there are people that all of us sometimes follow. We might not even be able to identify it consciously that we're following them as pillars of comparison, not to cheer for them or not to champion them or not because we're inspired, but because we've somehow subconsciously linked our success to theirs. And we want to know, you know, are they succeeding more than me? What are they doing? What are they up to? And that is such an unhealthy and toxic way to approach a relationship on a platform like social media. So look, here's the deal with that. Either one, change your behavior towards that person. And I always say, whenever you identify someone like that, become their biggest cheerleader. If you're cheering for them, you're not comparing with them. If you're actually trying to help them succeed, you're not intimidated by their success. So there's a nuanced sort of behavioral switch that you can be there with how you engage. But if there isn't that redemptive possibility, unfollow. Take control of that follower group that you have, that you are engaging with, and fill it with humans. Fill it with people you want to connect with. If you're a business owner, this should be people in your local market or in your relative market. If you are, let's say, a parent, this should be other parents you want to connect with and get to know. These should be friendships that you don't want to disappear, that you want to keep nurturing, that you want to maintain in different seasons of life. If you're someone that's passionate about a cause, these should be causes that light you on fire, that get you fired up. When you when you open your phone, you're learning, you're growing, you're being challenged, you're being encouraged, but taking control of who you follow. And then therefore having sort of when that feed is filled, it's also kind of leaning you in the direction of connecting and creating and being active and engaged member when you do spend time on the platform rather than a passive consumer of something that might be toxic or deeply rooted to your, your insecurities, or your fears. And again, those are two very different experiences with the same platform. I love that your first piece of advice with that is to try to change the way you're interacting and thinking about the person instead of just immediately unfollowing. Because that's the advice I always hear. If you're hate following someone, just unfollow them. But it's a Band-Aid, just like with the, oh, just step away from social media if you're struggling with comparison. It's just a Band-Aid to the actual underlying problem, which is us, not anyone else. We are the problem. So I love that that was your first piece of advice there. And then, yeah, the recognition that social media was created for us to consume as much as possible. I don't know if anyone else remembers this, but 
Instagram and Facebook, it used to be that you would scroll to the bottom of a page and you would have to click go to the next page. And you would get, there were all these numbers of pages that you could go through. And then they realized that if you scrolled to the bottom of a page and you had to click go to the next page, at some point you would say, eh, I'm just going to get off now. And the endless scroll was invented. And now you never have to consciously think, do I stay on or get off? You just keep going. And they have intentionally developed social media to keep us on there in that way. The endless scroll is but one of so many things that we often can't remember life before. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And look, I I also do. I do believe in sometimes challenging what is the easy way out because I understand that we are capable of tackling something harder. And I'll share something a little bit vulnerable in this regard. You know, this is something, and I share this in the book. This is not something that's been easy for me. This is not something where I can say to you, don't just unfollow people who are leaving you feeling down or that you're comparing yourselves to try, try to fix. Cause again, it's not about them. It's about us. Like when I'm struggling with comparison, as much as I want to say, Oh gosh, that person unfollow. I have to say to myself, Natalie, what is hurting in your heart? that makes it hard for you to see her succeed. Natalie, what is that ache? And can we deal with that first? Like, can we get to the heart problem first within us before we just dismiss somebody else? And again, there are barriers to this. If someone's just a toxic human or is doing something really terrible in the world and you know is inciting fear and violence, and of course, this is not what I'm referencing, okay? So I wanna be very clear. But I do think in the day-to-day, we, we don't come up against that so much as we come up against, in my very vulnerable example here, In the years and years and years that I struggle with infertility, the number of women who I loved in person dearly that would get pregnant and then share their success stories and share their pregnancies and share their bump photos and share their matching holiday outfits and live their life like they should and they want to on social media, it felt like a stab in my heart every single time I opened my apps. It felt like I was witnessing somebody else get the very thing I wanted more than life itself people that I I loved, people that I celebrated. I suddenly felt like anytime I got to witness their joy, it was just ripping it right from my own hope in my own arms. And I really had to confront this head on because I recognized unfollowing them didn't solve the problem. Unfollowing my friends as they got pregnant, again, it didn't fix what was hurting inside me and their ability to get pregnant, their ability to carry a pregnancy to term, their ability to grow their families didn't mean that I couldn't. It wasn't taking it away from me. They weren't the reason I was infertile. Like it, it wasn't their fault. And so I had to tackle this because frankly, I couldn't live a life where everyone else in my world was having this beautiful thing happen. And I felt like I had to run, felt like I had to hide. I felt like I had to avoid the people that I loved simply because they were having success and I wasn't. And so I don't come from a place of saying, this is easy. Don't unfollow, engage and do the hard work. I'm coming from a place of saying I have unfollowed and it didn't heal what was hurting inside of me. I have muted people And it didn't heal the pain I was already going through, the trauma that I was experiencing. You know, I acknowledge that every one of our journeys is different and every one of us is facing something different. And that comparison trigger, that point of pain is going to look differently for all of us. But I can also tell you that there is so much more that lies beneath the surface of what we see in other people's lives. And those same friends, many of whom I muted and unfollowed, when I instead confronted that fear with vulnerability, when I instead sat down for coffee with them and said, gosh, I'm so happy for you, but can I be honest about what I've been struggling with? Can I tell you how we went to a fertility doctor and they won't even treat me? 
They won't even treat me because I have a brain tumor in my head and it is too much of a risk to put me on these meds. I was told by the best, one of the best specialists on the East coast that I wasn't even able to start fertility treatment, you know? And so I'm, I'm stuck in this place where I don't know if I'll be able to have biological kids and I'm so happy for you, but this has been so hard for me. Do you want to know what I was met with? Because I wasn't met with hatred. I wasn't met with, oh gosh, that must suck. I was met with stories of vulnerability on the other side. I was met with, you know, I actually experienced three losses last year and we didn't talk about it. Actually, you know, I struggle with infertility and I did IVF and we didn't talk about it. I was met with these human beings who had dynamic and complex stories that had walked through things, had struggled through things. And social media was telling me half the story. Social media was giving me the highlight reel. It was painting a lie. And not by their intent. They weren't going out to do. They were celebrating a moment of victory in their lives as they should. But I was consuming it as the whole story. I was believing that there was no depth and struggle to the human experience on the other side of the screen. I was seeing my struggle, but seeing their perfection, right? I was making the judgment call based on the highlight reel of their lives, but, but living in the mess of my own and putting these two things as if they are equal and they are not because human beings are not highlight reels, right? And so I say that just to challenge us again and say, lean in when you can with vulnerability, when you catch yourself, especially in relationships you want to maintain, especially in industry friendships that you do value. When you're getting caught up in the comparison, don't just unfollow if there are paths to redemption, you know, if there are paths to connecting on a deeper level, if there is space for vulnerability and a safe space for vulnerability, if that's even a possibility, I encourage you to pursue it. Because their success in pregnancy didn't mean that I was going to have a longer bout of infertility. They weren't the reason I was struggling with infertility. But the minute I was able to open up to them, then they actually were able to maybe not make certain comments around me. They actually, I had friends that said to me, hey, I, I am going to host my baby shower. I'm, I'm sending you my invitation, but I want you to know there is no pressure to attend that I love you. And if you would prefer not to be there surrounded by baby stuff, Nat, like, don't come. I still know you love me. I don't need you living that trauma out. Like they approached it with such compassion and such empathy, you know, and, and it changed the way that I was able to then love them in return. And that never would have happened if I just didn't give them the opportunity. If I made that call for them, if I said, I'm not going to deal with what I'm struggling with, I'm just going to, I'm just going to mute you. I'm just going to shove you out of my life because I don't, I don't want that right now. And I pushed myself further into isolation, pushing myself further into navigating the hardest season of my life alone. And so if you're listening to this and you're someone that has been there in your own way, has struggled with any, this is my tiny little slice of what I've been through, but I know you've been through something too. I know you're walking through something right now. I know that there is something that is hindering you from being able to make these connections with certain people because of the pain that you're feeling inside. I just want to encourage you to know that you're not alone. And I want to encourage you to remember that what we're seeing on the internet is half the story and that these are human beings just like you. And that we can't compare our mess and our struggle and our pain to their highlights. Yeah, that's so good. And I know that I heard people say that over and over again, and it didn't sink in for me until I sat back and looked at my own life, my own mess, and what was actually showing up on my feed. And I wasn't intentionally trying to create a highlight reel but it's just the way it is. And when I sat there, I put a post about this the other day and I was like, Hey, you don't see me when I'm 
crying on the floor like a little baby because I want to eat salt and vinegar chips on my period. Like we all have mess and social media doesn't see that no matter how intentional we are to be vulnerable. So if you're someone who like me had a really hard time, you could recognize that logically, but had a hard time actually seeing that for yourself. Think about what people aren't seeing on your own feed, on your own highlight reel, because you're probably not intentionally keeping things from people. It just doesn't come up a lot of the times. When would I ever talk about salt vinegar cravings? That's not something that just comes up naturally, but it is part of who I am. Sadly, a large part of who I am once a month. (laughs) But in all seriousness, just take a step back and look at what your feed looks like and what your own life looks like. That might help you connect those dots a little bit better because I know I had to do that for myself personally because it was really easy to logically say, I know that's not their real life, but because you can't picture the rest of their real life, it's hard to actually see that. I love that. And I think we also have to remember too, some of the stories and the hardships we walk through aren't ours to tell. So much of what we experience isn't even our own struggle, but the people we love, like to love is to walk through life with others. And so I think about this too, you know, in the context of when I've had a family member that's going through something really significant, a friend is struggling, a loss, like in a family or the dynamic range is so wide. And yet there are going to be experiences even beyond our own daily life, because we do live in community with others, because we are built for this belonging where a lot of the pain people feel isn't even theirs to share. So even in the pursuit of wanting to be as vulnerable as they can, there are stories that aren't theirs to tell. And yet they're still walking in that experience in these different seasons of life. You know, and I look back even on on the last year and a half, and I think about collectively how much we've endured. And I think we've been real, really quick to write it off. Like we've been very quick to be like, okay, I see a bright light at the end of this tunnel and I'm running forward towards it without kind of reckoning like what we've really lost. And I don't just mean like the loss of life, which is so insurmountable, but I mean sort of the loss of of so much collective safety that perhaps we felt before this moment. I mean the loss for many of of childcare and trying to juggle it all, the loss of jobs, the loss of revenue, the loss of financial stability, the loss of health, the long-term symptoms, the fear for family, the divide in our world, the, the more polarized narratives than I've ever witnessed in my life pinning people against one another. And I I bring all that up as uncomfortable as it is because, because that is pain that we're kind of brushing away. That is pain that again, like, although I'm posting on social that I'm starting to do these things again, and I'm going to the store and I'm having lunch with a friend, it doesn't change the fact that I'm still navigating what this means. I'm still worrying about my little two-year-old. I'm worried about my friend who has a chronic illness. I'm worried about family that has cystic fibrosis. I'm worried about, you know, and still kind of navigating, but what's going to happen next? And are we really out of the woods? And if I'm pregnant, if I wear a mask, is someone going to be mad at me for wearing that mask in the store? Like, you know, those kind of moments of fear that we're still all feeling on all sides of these things. And so I bring it up just to say that we can also apply this to personal and in-person you know, life as well, where we can walk through the world, not just taking things at, at face value, not just saying, this is what I see. So this is what I assume but recognizing that each human being on the other end of an interaction, whether it's digital or in person is a human being. Sometimes that means not taking things so personally when someone is mad at us for something or, you know, makes a mean comment at us in, in some way. And I've sure had my, my fair share of that lately going back into the world. I'm like, wow, people are spicy. People are really like, I'm, I'm getting a lot of like anger here, spice there, road rage over there. You know, just like, it's kind of like we've forgotten um, how to engage with one another. So to encourage you to, to kind of move through the world, whether it's virtual or in person with this understanding that 
we're all human beings. We're all just doing the best we can. And many people are walking through a battle that that doesn't show on the outside, that we can't see whether it's on the screen or in real life. And just to, to approach the world from that place of, of empathy and understanding, still set your boundaries, still guard your heart, still do all the things you need to do to protect your space, but approach others through that lens and, and that understanding. You know, I think, I don't know. I think it can go such a long way. Yeah. Absolutely. 100%. And just recognizing that we're all human. And again, we all have mess that we're going through and you never know what's happening in someone's day or life or whatever after a random interaction. Okay. So this has been amazing. I feel like I need to go transcribe this right away and just take all the notes. But if you could leave everyone with one action step for what they can do to connect instead of consume, what would it be? Okay. So this is going to sound really elementary, but this is a little technique that has changed my entire life. I want you to take a moment today to think of five people. I want you to think of five people in your life, in your circle that you want to build a deeper relationship with. And I'll give you some kind of parameters here. So these could be people that either A, maybe you used to have a good relationship with, Maybe you guys used to be really close. Maybe the last year and a half has kind of made you drift further apart. Maybe the last 10 years, somebody from your way back past that you think about from time to time, you're like, I just, I would love to reconnect. Okay. So it could be an existing or old faded kind of friendship relationship. This could be someone that maybe you just met and maybe you really want to invest. Maybe this is someone when you're saying, you know, in the past, I haven't had really deep relationships or in the past, I found it really hard to make adult friendships. This is an intentional friendship I want to cultivate. They can also be looking forward into the future. This could be someone that maybe you've just kind of brush shoulders with or work in the same space as, you know, there's no right or wrong here for this list of five, but it could be someone that you want to build a relationship with and you haven't yet even initiated. Whoever these people are, I want you to think of five people. And I want you to intentionally over the next month, for a full month, intentionally think of these five people when you open your phone. Intentionally think of these five people when you pick up your phone in terms of texting or reaching out. I want you to put these names maybe behind your computer. And when you remember to engage, connect, support, cheer for, champion, celebrate, check in on, whatever that looks like, I want you to put a little dot next to their name. And I want you to start intentionally focusing on loving on these five people. Because here's the deal. When we set ourselves to a goal, my, you know, my goal is I want to, it could be different for everyone. I understand we all have, have different things on our plates, but for me, it's like, you know what? Three times a week, these are the folks I really want to be connecting with. So I'm going to set out to do that. It is incredible what can happen in one month with five relationships, one month. And if five is too many, go to three. If three is too many, go to one. If five isn't enough and you're like, Natalie, I'm changing my whole life and I have felt never felt so alone and I need to do something, here's what I want you to do. Pick 10 and rotate through that list of 10. And you can apply this strategy. I mean, again, we're talking kind of like heart to heart here, but y'all know I'm an entrepreneur. The same thing applies to networking. The same thing applies. And I, I, by the way, I hate the word networking. That's a whole another episode for another podcast, but I'm not a big fan of networking because it's all about what I get out. Right. But the idea being, what can I give that list of people? Who are you giving to in your network? Who are you giving to in your industry? Who are you giving to in your community? Who are you giving to in your friend group? Who are you giving to in your family? How are you showing up and recognizing you'll start to see this with these different groups. Maybe it's five people and maybe of those five, three people, you know, become the ones where you're like, wow, they're really reciprocating. Wow. Now they're really showing up for me too. Now this is a really healthy and dynamic relationship. I'm going to keep leaning in, but my tactical advice, make a list of five, 
start intentionally engaging with those five. Track it. Actually track it. When you take the time to comment, when you take the time to text, track it. Because what's going to happen is by the end of the month, you're going to realize, wow, I, I really I really tried that. I tested that method. I really tried that out. I committed. I engaged. And here, were the, here was the outcome. And again, you can apply this in so many different spaces, but you will be blown away by what can happen by intentionally seeking out to love people well, seeking out to connect with people well, and also how it makes you feel and how you feel at the end of that month. You know, So that would be my, it's very simple, very elementary advice, but it's something I actually do. And I keep it on my notes in my phone with the little, you have little notes in your phone. I keep track of it and I rotate through every month with a few different people. And I really try and it makes, it makes getting on those platforms a little bit different. It changes the way I step, you know, step into a room. If I spot that person who I'm like, you know, I really want to get to know them. I really want to support them. I really, I have a tendency to compare with that person. So what am I going to do? I really want to cheer for them. I want them to know I'm showing up for them. And I, in a crowded room of opportunities, I am saying their name and it can, it can change everything. So that would be my advice. I love that so much. That's so great. And I would even say that y'all should head on over to Canva create a little wallpaper with those names on it and pop that in the back of your phone as a reminder. You can't track it that way, but Amanda gold, gold. I love that. Yes, 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 yes. Gosh, loving people well and being intentional about it is it's, it's the way to kind of start moving through the world. If it's not something that's just part of a daily practice for you. Okay. I am all for this because I am such a I'm a one. So I'm very like, I love to check things off, but for the people who are like, that doesn't feel intentional because you've got a list. What do you say to that? Well, again, we're all different. And I'm a three with ADHD unmedicated. So if I don't have a list, it's never happening. So take that with a grain of salt. And that's just my, that's my reality. If I don't write it down, it's not going to happen. If it's not a list with physical check marks, it's, I have no object permanence, no sense of object permanence. So once it's gone, it's gone. So that's where the intent comes from. Now, if that for you doesn't resonate and that's just not how you roll. And if you're a seven and you're like, where's the spontaneity in that? Sorry, we're throwing out Enneagram numbers here. And you may, you may or may not be. Okay, great. Good. So we've got, we got a group full of folks in no Enneagram. Let's say you're a seven and you're like, oh, that sounds so, you know, not organic, not, you know, whatever, not genuine, which I disagree. I think it can still be genuine when it can be planned, but let's say that's how you feel. Then maybe it's like a daily rotation. It's like, Hey, the first five people that pop across my path today, this is how I'm going to show up for them. Right. So you can shift the strategy. You could say the first three people I connect with, it's going to start with me saying something kind to them. I'm going to start by giving to them. I'm going to start by complimenting them, showing up for them, cheering for them, whoever those three people are in complete spontaneity, you know, whether it's in person or online, you can shift the strategy. But again, the whole underpinning foundation here is that you're putting people at the center uh, of what you're what you're going out to do in the world in terms of connection. It's not about you. It's not about, you know, I there's a whole chapter in the book where I'm like, you know, most of us are told to stand on a soapbox, but really we're called to build a stage. And this idea of like, it's not just about us shouting to the world, hey, I'm Natalie Frank, here's what I do. And here's and you should listen and you should care. It's like showing up and and saying, oh hey, I see you have a problem. Here's a solution. Or hey, I saw you do this great thing. Hey, I'm gonna cheer for you. I'm gonna show up for you. I'm gonna be there for you because the ROI on that is long-term and it's meaningful to our lives. And so it can still be spontaneous and it can still be unplanned. And you can you can scrap the list idea if you have different ways of leveraging your superpower in your personality and that's how you roll. Great, go for it. But the heart is having people at the center. It's saying intentionally today, I want to I want to connect with five people. It could be at random, you know, in a, in a networking event I'm going, the first five people that I speak to, here's how I'm going to show up differently. I'm going to remember their names. I'm going to follow them on Instagram. I'm going to creating creating it for yourself and how you like to connect and 
again, it will look different for everyone. We're all different, but I think, I think it just starts by putting people at the center. I love that so much. At this point, I normally ask my guests about a book recommendation, but I want to use this moment to just plug Built to Belong again, because guys, if you've loved what Natalie's had to say, which I don't know how you couldn't have, we've barely scratched the surface in one single chapter in this book. So I highly, highly, highly recommend that you go grab a copy for yourself. I'm going to link it in the show notes. Natalie, I'm sure you have some quick link that is easy to remember that you could tell them. Yeah. So just nataliefrank.com slash book, or honestly, if you go to wherever books are sold, you know, we're in Amazon, we're at Target, Barnes and Noble, Christian book, indie book, all the books, wherever books are sold, you can just search for built to belong or my name, Natalie Frank, and you'll find it. I highly encourage you to read the book, especially if I'm like, I think it's a book for everybody, but especially if you're someone who's ever struggled with comparison or is just really yearning for something different. We talked about this, a ton of science, a ton of meaty data in this book amidst stories and, you know, just like really relatable comparisons to our lives. And so my hope is that you pick it up and you leave it a changed person and that it just gives you what you need in this particular season, especially as we're thinking differently about community, as we're maybe re-emerging into groups that we once were very familiar with, or we're reframing the way we want our future to look. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you so much for having me. This has just been such an amazing conversation and I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that you're here. Like I said, I'm just, I'm over the moon about this book. I'm such a nerd. I love all the data that's inside of it. And it really pulls those stories together for me. I love stories, but I love that connection piece of, oh, here's this study where they did this thing. This is what they found like that. I nerd out about that so much. And yeah, everyone who's listening, I know we're all entrepreneurs. We're all constantly on social media. We're all content creators because that's what I teach about. So that's why you're here. So we're always on these apps. And I think, I don't think, I know that this message that Natalie is sharing is so important. So seriously, go pick up Built to Belong. It is a must read recommendation. Natalie, I know everyone's going to want more from you. So outside of going to grab their copy, where else can they find you? Yes, absolutely. So I do, as we've talked about, Instagram tends to be my spot on the internet where I hang out. So I'd encourage you to come on over to Instagram at Natalie Frank. And don't just, if you're going to hit the follow button, don't just hit the follow button. You can do that. Great. But I want you to DM me, send me a DM. Let me know that you heard me on the podcast today. Let's connect. Let's get to know each other. Share a fun, random fact with me. Let's become friends. And I, you know, I'm here for you on your journey, whatever that looks like. So Instagram tends to be the place where I hang out, but you can always also head to nataliefrank.com or if you're in the entrepreneurial world, Highly recommend getting plugged in with Rising Tide. You can just learn more at honeybook.com slash Rising Tide. And that's sort of the community arm of, of all the work that I do. Natalie, thank you so much for being here. I am just so grateful that you've shared your story and been so vulnerable with everyone today. Thank you again. Thank you so much for joining me here today, friend. If you loved this episode, it would mean the world to me if you'd leave a rating and review. This is a great way to help spread the word about this podcast and help other wonderful women like yourself find it. You can find this episode show notes as well as tons of other great resources over at amandawarfield.com. And if you aren't following me on Instagram yet, I'd love to connect with you over there. I'm at Mrs. Amanda Warfield. Shoot me a DM and tell me what you love most about this episode. Thanks for being here, friend. I'll see you next time.